uh, One State, One Nation uh, Under Fear, Part 1. Jordan Neely was a person. He was stranded by our society, left without access to basic human needs throughout his short life. And because of his desperate need and our warped priorities, his existence filled people not with sympathy, but with fear. Then he was killed, which means he is dead, and that is a tragedy because he was a person. I'm saying these obvious things because they're not obvious to everyone. Not just that Neely's death was a tragedy, but that he was a person. These are controversial propositions. I know this because there is a controversy. Ask anyone. There are people outraged at the suggestion that Neely's death was a tragedy, an outrage that seems born out of a reaction to the inference that he was a human, because these people say only, but what these people say only makes sense if they have decided that he was not a person. I notice that many of these outraged people are the exact same people who seem to think that every daily police lynching or vigilante act against a marginalized person is justified and get outraged at every suggestion that the latest atrocity was tragic or unjustified and their outrage is validated in our halls of power and our national media apparatus as one of many equal competing perspectives, which means that instead of serving as a shocking revelation of our collective cultural inhumanity towards one another, it becomes a debate instead, a controversial debate. So to repeat, Jordan Neely was a person, a human, and his death was tragic because he had the same measure of humanity as his killer, or you, or me, or any of the rest of us, and observing these facts is a controversy as uh, uh, as is any attempt to establish the humanity of anyone who our society has marginalized, which is a word that means this human's humanity has been systemically ignored. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long, it's a, it's a long essay, but uh, we'll link to it in the show notes when this comes out if people want to read the whole thing because um, it's an important little lesson, I think. Uh, comrades and friends, hello. Uh, this is the Highlands Bunker Podcast. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower. We're behind enemy lines. We're in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. And uh, we're coming to you uh, virtually today. Um, our guest is beaming in, could not make it into the studio. But uh, as he knows, there's an open door policy. So um, anybody who um, does one of these virtually, whether they're local or not, um, is always invited to come back in. Um, our guest today is a Wilmington guy. Uh, he's an activist and an advocate. Um, his name is Hassini Perkins. Uh, Hassini, thank you for coming in. How are you? No, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, it's pronounced Hassani. Hassani. Oh, I I I I, uh, I apologize. I've I've been getting I've been getting better with I've been getting better with my pronunciations, but uh, uh, I guess I butchered that one. I apologize, Hassani. Nah, it's cool. It's cool, man. It's the way that it's spelled, <clears throat> but um. Yeah, um, thank you. First and foremost, thank you for uh, allowing me to come on and allow me to utilize your platform. Um, I think that from what I heard, I think that you are doing a great job. I think that you are fearless. And um, that is what is needed and what is appreciated. Um, this is my first time ever actually doing this particular thing, as such as podcasts. Um, 
as he said, I, I am an activist, uh, organizer, mobilizer, as my man Drew would say. <laughs> um, and uh, I have the privilege of being a racial justice organizer for ACLU Delaware. Um, with this privilege, uh, I have been able to really understand the layers that make up a lot of the oppression on people that look like me. And um, with that, it has ignited my passion even more to do what I need to do to kind of be on the right side of this fight. Um, unfortunately, for years, I was on the wrong side of the fight, not in a political way, but just in a just in a, a bad way, not contributing to my community in a positive way. So here I am. Yeah, how, uh, you know, I guess we'll get into it more when we get an opportunity for you to come in in person. But I always like to know a little bit of background and how um, how you found your way to uh, community work, to activism, to mobilization um, and and sort of uh, what it what it means to you now just in general before we start talking about like some specific stuff that you're working on. Uh, yeah, yeah, cool. Um. I, I guess I could say that I was an activist for 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 many years. I guess I could say with my uh, with my personality and attitude and and the way I go about things. So I guess that was always in me. Uh, but um, my activism actually started. Funny thing, it actually started within prison. You know, um, having to stand up and fight for things uh, in a way that was uh, constructive in a way that was effective in a way that could produce, you know. Um, so, you know, I guess that's where it started. And um, I had the opportunity to learn while I was incarcerated. So instead of making my um, my uh, hardship into, into a, a cycle of hardship, I kind of was able to turn it into opportunity. So um, once I was released, I had um, several opportunities, and one of the opportunities was to work for uh, Wilmington Metropolitan Urban League, uh, volunteer and then part-time as a racial justice organizer. Um, and doing that, I was um, exposed to a lot of things, um, a lot of things that um, were uh, not equal. And, and so, uh, once again, my passion was reignited, and this is how I got into activism. This is how I got into fighting for a cause. And, um, you know, I was born and raised in, like you said, Wilmington Native. I was born and raised in Southbridge. Extension projects, they're, they're, they're no longer there. Uh, we have some, uh, what's that, uh, for the energy? We have some of that stuff over there now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We got a lot of stuff over there. We're, we're, we're always... Um... You know everything that gets um, one of the one of one of the ways that people are marginalized and sort of pushed to the side are sort of development ways. And we talk to people in Southbridge, uh, especially Hanif, uh, all the time about that stuff uh, because you, you got to keep your eye on that because yeah, they'll they'll uh, you know they'll they'll develop you right out of existence. 
if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah, um, you remember you remember the game Hungry Hippo? Yes, I do. And and that's exactly what happened. Like if you if you look at the location of the riverfront and how they is suddenly creeping up on South Bridge, creeping up on South Bridge. The luxury apartments is going up on A Street as we speak right now. That's literally looking down at the housing projects in South Bridge. How ironic is that? And you know, I mean, so it's just like study just eating at it, eating at it, eating at it. You know, if you if you go to the back of the housing projects in South Bridge, if you go all the way back on Locust Street and so forth and so on, you you you'll see the contrast, you see the difference. As soon as you pass, if you you're back there in the wooded area, the weeded area and stuff and everything, as soon as you pass through the weeds, you see this beautiful field for these affluent for kids to come and play on. You know, and and it's, and it's just so blatant the classism. It's just so blatant in your face. You know, um, you know there 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 has been said that rivers that uh the riverfront, you know, before the development and all that stuff and everything, when it was just you know as we know it were like marsh area and stuff like that. You know, them grounds was Wilmington. They them grounds the location of them grounds was actually considered South Wilmington, hence South Bridge. But once you do the development now, it's it's, it's not South Bridge no more. You know, so you know that South Bridge has, has been a very neglected neighborhood, and it, and it's, it's sad because it's so rich with history. It has yeah. produced a, it has produced a lot of good people and stuff. Yeah. And it's a, as Hanif always says, it's one of the oldest neighborhoods in Wilmington. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as you you know, as soon as you go from, I think, I mean, the 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 basketball arena and the 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 athletic fields over there is a good example, but. You know, also just just you know, used to be Southbridge. Now it's a uh, East Riverfront or whatever. You know, they have to change the name because it can't can't be what it you know what we know it as. Um, so that's you know, it's pretty blatant. You know, they don't this nothing none of this. You know, some of some stuff happens in secret. This stuff they just they just shove in your face. Um, so yeah, this this there's are issues that we're we're, we're talking about uh, all the time. Yeah, um, and and and, it, and it's very it's very to be honest with you, it's very hurtful. It's very hurtful because you know you have a community of people that um that are reluctant to engage in 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 in, in the pushback. And when you see that, you be like, "Damn, you know what I mean?" And and it's like it it just it just keeps happening and happening and happening and happening. You know, I got angry with some of my peers. Um. Uh a while back because I was doing something and um you know when I was verbalizing it to them they was all gun ho. But when I came around with film and stuff like that, it was all oh no nah, man son I don't want to be on film. And these are bulls that can't that claim to be gangsters, that came to be that claim to be hard. That came you know but yet you 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 pick and choose your fights. You know, we 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 fighting for we fighting for the generation that come after us, which is our kids. We fighting for the comfortability of our grandparents and our uncles and aunts after they don't pit in 20, 30, 40 years of work. But you don't you don't want that fight? But you claim to be a jig. And you know, and that 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 really like angers me. So, you know, my anger is 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 well spread. You know what I mean? It is well spread. Yeah, and I, I, I know, um, 
a lot of times my reputation precedes me as well. Um, I have a great deal of, of righteous indignation, we call it. Um, there was a there's a very famous um, magazine editor in the in the 80s and 90s uh, named Alexander Coburn, and when writers came to um, interview with him or speak to him about the issues they were working on, uh, one of his one of his famous questions was, "How pure is your hate today?" Uh, because when you see when you th- when you see things like this and you don't have a visceral reaction to what's happening to your family, your neighbors, your grandparents, your friends, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like, well, what are you, what, what is important to you? But there is a, there is a part of it, like, you definitely have to change your perspective because, you know, there's one kind of fight, you know, if you're, you know, trying to make ends meet, if you're in the street business, if you're just trying to protect your, your personal property, that's one kind of fight. Uh, but the fight for everybody and the fight against sort of marginalization and push, getting pushed to the side and all of that, that systemic fight against institutions is a whole different fight. And, yeah, I mean, you do have to be up for it. I mean, it's, 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 it's different, you know, and you have to sort of understand the different nuances and, and what it means to you. So, you know, it's like I'm, I'm not surprised that, you know, some, some tough guys who are ready to fight for, you know, their life or, uh, you know, uh, their money or, or whatever, you know, this is a different kind of thing. And so, you know, it's tough. It's, it's tough to sort of tack to something a little more, you know, it's just something different that, 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 that's uh, against institutions, you know, it's against sort of like, and it's for everybody. It's not just for an individual or a group of individuals. It's for a collective group. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated. And the reasons, uh, um, there's there's different reasons of why people in these positions do not want to fight. You know, a lot of a lot of people just don't believe that the fight is going to come to anything that is going to be beneficial. The results isn't going to change and stuff. And I can understand that um, because I believe that um, we won't see significant change in my lifetime. So I can understand how they feel. Yeah, you know, I, but I agree. But at the same time, that doesn't that doesn't mean that I lay down and don't fight. So, um, uh, also there is a uh, self preservation type of attitude, also, which isn't which which shouldn't be looked at with a negative eye. You know, because this is a point of survival. That's right. So, so self preservation is needed. Um. Then there's, um, then there's, you know, this sense of how you want to define integrity. And what I mean by that is that some people just say like, man, I'm out here doing this and that, Sonny, man. Like, I ain't in the position to do that, man. I don't want to be called no hypocrite. And so these are, these are just some of the excuses on why, why we choose not to fight. You know what I mean? Which is okay. Which is okay. And I told them this is okay. This is okay, and stuff, right? But what I would need for you from you guys is the fact to like the people that are willing to fight that is in our community for you to back them a hundred percent. You don't have to be on the front lines. I could take the hit from the front line. Just need you to back me, homie. That's it. And stuff. And and a lot of times, a lot of times, this this way may be even more effective. I know when I was in prison. 
I was the uh, I was on a number of different committees when I was in prison. I was on the uh, Grievous Committee. I was on the Commissary Committee. I was on the IAC, which is the Inmate Advisory Committee, charged with improving the quality, <clears throat> the quality of life of correctional officers and offenders after the tragic George, uh, after the tragic Floyd uh, uh, incident where he was killed. Um, and you know, I've seen people come and argue their merits, like in a grievous hearing, and they and what they argue was valid. You know, it had merit. It, but the way they argued it took that away. And what I mean by this is, you know, the verbiage that they choose to use. That, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it. This is what the staff was able to hone on it on. And kind of deny it on that, not the basis that this is happening, that this is for real. They deny it on that, and this is a common theme within society. Period. We hear it when when riots happen. Ah, oh, this isn't a way to get what you want. They burning down these. Oh, this is a common thing. So even when inmates came into the grievous hearing and they articulated themselves in a certain way that wasn't that wasn't accept, acceptable to the people who they had to place their argument in front of their issue was no longer the, the issue it was yeah. conduct it, it was, was conduct. It, it was interesting when you mentioned earlier when you were talking about sort of working as an advocate and an activist when you were incarcerated and I thought that was one of the questions I had that came into my mind is, you know, it's it's one thing to to have a, to to go air a grievance at the city council or or try to organize your neighbors around a particular issue. But when you're in that context, I, I, I'm 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 interested to understand, like, that's a whole different world. The, the rules and the balancing and who has the. I mean, the power dynamic obviously is is like it couldn't be more one hundred percent to zero, because you're 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 locked in there and you can't you can't leave. Um, and so the 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 context that you're working in, the environment that you're working in, is just another. It's a completely another world of having to navigate. You know these these things that are that are stacked against you by rule by you know by design. That is is all stacked against you. The power is only one way, and I, I just I, I you know I, I don't know if you want to sort of comment on that generally or or specifically, but I think it's important to 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 note that the institution itself is designed to make what you're talking about next to impossible. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it, very much so. Uh, Claire Dematter is basically basically uh. uh Put the stamp on that, what you're saying. Yeah, you know, yeah. she, she was quoted in the news journal saying that all, all inmates do is lie. So if that if if she's quoted saying that and the grievance process goes all the way up the chain. So that takes the validity away from the grievance process in itself by just saying that if you're the top of the pot, you're the commissioner, and you actually say that out your mouth, then you know our grievances are falling on deaf ears. But on the flip side of things and everything, our CEOs and that's work. So I mean that's just facts. You know they 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 get caught up in this modulism 
and this egotistical mind state and stuff because they have this charge, you know, and, and, and it's not just CEOs, but it's it's a lot of a lot of us when we when we have positions of authority, you know, we get drunk, we get drunk with the power. So we become, you know, over over macho or, you know, over egotistical, you know. And so with that being said, that makes them vulnerable. So they may think that they're 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 uh they're um oh their their attempts that oppression and suppression is just like solid. You know what I mean? Nah, it really isn't. Because you know, when you when you deal with people like that, you go to suggestive thinking. And what happens when you do suggestive thinking is that you throw things out there and you allow them to bite as if they made the idea. And this is this is what's this is so easy with CEOs. So, and I say this not in a bad way, but in a way that will allow my brethren, my 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 peers that were with me and behind a wall and stuff and everything, for them to have their their grievance really heard, really understood, and and really taken a look at and stuff. I will kind of like uh, shut the situation down, you know, um, and and. They knew I had their back 100%. So when I shut the situation down, they knew that, okay, I need to go ahead and just cool it and roll out. Sonny got it. And then, so when they would leave out, when they would leave out of there, you know, we would have the discussion about whether, you know, it had merit or not to go up through the process and be heard by the others, you know, through the chain of command. So um, when we be, when we be in there, I would, you know, use that suggestive thinking. Use them apparatus that are used on us in therapeutic sessions and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Use the same thing that's used on us by by uh, uh, doctors or investigators and stuff like that. So just use it right, right back on them and stuff. You know what I mean? And say, you know, point out that point out that there may be something else that may trip you down the line if this is if this is good. Or point out that this isn't really a big deal. Like, you know what I mean? And, and and then just just give them a little, and then they would come up with something that was the thing that we actually wanted anyway. They're so easy, and that <laughs> and that mindset, and that and, and and that situation, you know. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that situation. You know, they they're really. I mean, they they get so caught up in the bang bang. You know what I mean? That they lose the ability to really really think. And stuff they they they're impulsive they're a danger actually yeah they I mean, respond off the emotion one of the things one of the things we said um when so man going back four years one of the first podcasts we did was with lex wilson of the news journal because he covered the um the smyrna uprising um when the officer when the the corrections officer was was killed now, even just in the uh, in the right after it happened, you have to think to yourself: for a group of people to take this step, uh, knowing sort of how not exactly how it's going to end, but I mean, you're you're not escaping it. So so you're taking a step that there's going to be some uh, ra- ra- ramifications against you because there's nowhere to go. And so when you're when you're doing that, the, the the situation has risen to a level where you're going to uh, 
you know, you're going to take any step you can because it's a desperate, desperate situation. You know, and then come to find out they have the trial. It's sort of uh, things came out. Um, it, the, the result, I th- you know, was 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 fair enough because the, the people who took responsibility took responsibility. The people who didn't didn't. And and um, yeah, I mean, between us, uh, we know now that, you know, if somebody was targeted in something like that, there was probably reasons somebody like that was targeted. And um, yeah, I think I think everyone, you know, whether they say it out loud, whether whether they don't, whether they accept it or don't accept it, whether it's an official story or not an official story, I think it's I think it's pretty clear that um, that uh, everyone knows sort of why the worst of it happened. We'll just put it that way. Yes, absolutely right. Um, don't like. Lloyd's situation was a tragic situation. You know, um, you know, death isn't, death is, is final. So, you know, you, you know, you still feel some type of way. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I mean, it goes back to what I read at the beginning. I mean, everybody has humanity, right? Everybody's, it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy, as you said. I mean, you can't, there's no getting around that. Yeah, I mean that's just a fact. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, Floyd was an asshole for no reason. You know, I went to the shoe program in December nineteen. I mean, in the I went to the shoe program in December of two thousand eight. At the beginning of my uh, sixteen year bit, this is what they uh, would call what what they would call solitary confinement for like a a, sort of a yeah the shoe program. Yeah. Lockdown forty seven and one. And um so I, I went to the shoe and when you get there at the shoe program, you um you don't have none of your property. And so your room is basically it's nothing inside of your cell. Nothing, just you, the bunk, walls, toilet. And um so I was there it's probably a little over twenty four hours. Here comes Floyd. He does a shakedown on me, which is, you know, a search. Uh, I don't have anything. I don't have nothing. I don't, I took my belongings. I have nothing but a T-shirt, pair of DOC pants, and pair of DOC boxes. I didn't even have socks. And it's, it's crazy cold in there. There's nothing, literally nothing, not a pencil, not a piece of paper, nothing in my cell. But now her a little over 24 hours and you come to shake me down. You tell me to take off my clothes, the three items that I have on, pants, boxers, t-shirt. That's the only thing I have, period. And you tell me to take that off. And you tell me to bend over, open up my cheeks, pull up my nutsack, cough. Man, I'm not doing that, man. Oh, yeah, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. I don't know where you think you're at. You're going to do it. Man, what is the reason for me doing this, bro? 
you looking at this cell, you looking in the cell, our words are echoing. It's completely nothing in here, man. Let me be the judge of that. So you want to look inside my butt so you can be the judge of that? What's the matter with you? Like, because this can't be something that should be done like this because they came the next day. They came the next day. Because I didn't get my property till 15 days later. What property they decided to give me. So I stood, I stayed in there for almost two, or for a little over two weeks like that. Wearing, wearing my wet clothes back from the shower because I had to wash it out in the shower. Wearing it wet back in the shower, coming back in the room, hanging it on a vent, and it's rocking out how I rock out. Naked. Then when the officer come around and stuff, I'm lying. Let me, let me, let me take that back. Add a blanket also. Okay. So let me make sure I put that out there. I had a blanket and, and, um, a towel, you know what I mean? So I did have that a blanket and a towel. So then you have this, uh, the CEOs doing rounds and stuff and they're coming around and you know, they, they, they were, um, chastise me about, you know, not having clothes on. Are y'all nuts? But this is the games. This is this is what they this is this is what it is, man. This is the game. You know, this is the game, man. And you know, you 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 try to hold up. Some of some of us we don't hold up. Some of us we break mentally. You know, some of us we do things that we thought we wasn't gonna ever do. You know what I mean? And um it isn't because the person is is just uh nasty or just so you know what I mean. And I say that because there there was a thing that was popular of slinging feces and and you know, heating up heating up feces and heating up yarn and you know, squirting on people when they come past if you if you beefing with somebody or the CEO or whatnot. And you know, you will um you know, you when you hear this, you will be like, man, man, that that joke was filthy, trifling to be doing something like this. But what happens is that you you are isolated for so long that anything is better than doing that. Does that does that make sense what I'm trying to say? It it, it makes absolute sense to me. Anything yeah, I mean, is uh... better. Any it's it's engaging in something. I, I now me personally, I didn't engage in that. But uh, I spent a lot of time talking to myself. I spent a lot of times acting like I was the star of a movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I literally would go to sleep and and wake back up and start and start that movie from where it was. And you know, um, I wrote down I wrote down how many females I was with. <laughs> like you know, I'd be mean? over a lifetime and stuff. Like just uh... just. You know yeah, I mean? of course. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's so, it's so hard, it's so hard to even comprehend in your mind. But you, 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 you paint the picture very vividly. I mean, it, 
you know, that those two weeks before you have any belongings and you have, you know, three pieces of clothes and a towel. And it's just like, that's, that's torture. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, if you've ever said that or if anyone's ever said it to you. Uh, but in my opinion, you were tortured. And I, um, I, uh, it, it bothers me because I know this is a cult. This is something that we do, like the, the community is doing this. We decided to have these kind of prisons and run them this way. We decide what kind of criminal justice we're going to have. They're doing it right now in Dover, right? They're deciding um, bills that are criminal justice bills. There's, there's, there's one right now that because we've legalized marijuana now, or we're going to, it's, it's legal, and then we're going to have a, a market. Uh, we're going back four years ago to make other drug crimes uh, even worse. So what, so what we're actually saying, let's make no mistake, the bills that are trying to increase the uh, penalties and make, quote-unquote, more violent these drug offenses are trying to say that the situation that you're in, we should put people in that situation and, and, and longer for, for stuff that's ha- – for nothing, for stuff that's happening today. It's, it's worse than sad. Yeah. Worse it, than it, sad. It, it is because, because – you know that's that's just the beginning of a of a sixteen year bit. You know I was sent I was sent to the shoe because when I came to prison I was extremely angry, not at anyone but at myself for uh you know of course the situation. So I uh, I didn't properly deal with my emotions. Or I didn't know how to properly deal with my emotions, which is how you drop the ball in prison. You know, when you tell somebody that they're going to be in jail for 40 years and you send them, you send them back to the, to the housing area and you don't send a therapist to come talk to them. You don't send some type of compassion to come their way. You just send them back there to, to think that to deal with that, look at a wall. Can you imagine how that's playing on your mind? And you just sit back there, so you don't know how to process this. So you start to displace it, you know, on any and everybody. And so they just study jack up your points and points your points. Their frigazy point system that they have. Then they tell you wake up in the middle of the night and they ship you to their largest prison in the state. And you go there with all this anger. And they put you in this lockup situation with all this anger. Then they question why you heat up poop and throw it on people with all this anger. And then they have a process where you're able to get out a little bit more. You know, uh, you get at, you know, 47 and one, that one hour gets broken down. You get the 15 minutes for a phone call, 15 minutes to walk around a cage, 15 minutes to get in the shower, and then they lock you in that dump shower for 15 minutes, <laughs> and then you go back in. But anyway, um, so with this process, you're so angry, so then they allow you to flow down. 
So they send you to quality of life level two. For the quality of life level two, you may be able to have a roommate, a celly. But for all this anger, honey, put you in a cell with somebody else. Who's just as angry, anger. just as angry or angrier than you, probably. Same, I mean. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Just, I'm just going to say how this process is and let y'all think about what's going on. So with all this anger, they put you in the cell with someone else. This is supposed to be quality of life parts, level two. So now you're in the cell with this person. You know, if you make it through, you go to quality of life three. Quality of life three, you're still in a cell with somebody you're in another housing area. You get to come out one time in the morning and one time in the evening and get to interact with more peers instead of being in the cage for all this anger that still isn't addressed because you're in the show. So, so now you now you have this anger and you come out and you're ready to interact with all these other peers. Can you just imagine what was said behind the doors when you was on quality life level one, when you was on quality life level two? Can you just imagine how many people got hit with hot feces, hot urine? So now you made it up to quality life level three, where you get to interact with 15, 20 different people. What you think is going to happen? And this is what's going to happen when you wear a scar like that. That's what's going to happen when you put us in a mix like that. Do you want to describe that? I mean, you just you you showed it to me. Um, it took one on the neck there, from about the back of your ear to the up down your back and your shoulder. I mean that that fucking thing's eighteen inches long, bro. Yeah. So um. Yeah. You know, I, like, I, 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 like I said that um, you know when I like I said I had a lot of anger. Um, I'm a street bull coming in. I was already angry at myself, and I displaced my anger, and I went to the like I said I went to the show. And I jumped into whatever beef was popping at the time. And at the time, the beef that was popping was Muslims against Bloods. And I'm Muslim. So I jumped head first into the beef. And, you know, so this particular situation here was uh, we was on a we was on a tear, getting that wreck that I just told you about coming out with other people. Um, my, my roommate, uh, was a, was a boy that was like really known for his hands, like white boy that was really known for his hands from Brown town. And, um, so, you know, he, he was, he was part of the beef. He had already knocked somebody out that was laid on our toilet, just knocked him out. 
So when we come out, <clears throat> situations, you know, perpetuate. And uh, so one of the guys was um, was fighting, and the boy was on top of him, you know, ready to go in his his headband because he got his his bangers, his his razors, and his headband. Okay, and also we, and also we wear bangers on our chains and stuff and whatnot. But um, so he had his bangers in his headband and he was ready to to jibby him. And I kind of like flipped him over at the situation and took it up off of him. And um, so you know the beef is going going on. So I said, you know, we lock in, and when we lock in, some workers come around. And these are people who collect your laundry to do your laundry and stuff like that. And so when they come around, <clears throat> they they go to the bull, the person that I you know, put the stuff up, they go to his, his cell and they, they let them know how they feel and stuff and, you know, what they want to do to him, blah, 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 blah. And so the next morning, on our way to the chow hall, and I'm going to be as very, as, as transparent as transparent can be. Alright. On the way to the child hall, I'm kinda I'm I kinda go first because I at that particular time, you know, I get the I get the boom boom from behind the uh behind the wall. You know what I mean? So I you know I make sure everybody's straight. So cause we get served through a wall, like a through a hole in a wall. It's a tray. Instead of me going first, I I I, I kinda like turn to the side. I wanted him to go first, but the officer was like, go ahead, Perkins. And then that split second when I turned like that. That's when he caught me from the back. And he was able to, like, he's a little shorter than me, so he had to get up in there. And he was able to, he was able to come from here to there. And I turned around, and when I turned around, you know, and when, when I turned around, I swung, and he got me a little bit on the hands, a little bit. And he took off down the hall. And, um, but before he, before he even took off the, uh, Two of the COs took off too. <laughs> they ran too. But um, anyway, so um, so the one CO, she uh, Miss Vintage, she pushed me back out on the sidewalk because in between each building there's a little caddy walk like type of thing, and um, so she pushed me back out there where it was a lot of other convicts at. So when she pushed me back out there, you know, a lot of my brother was out there, so they like, oh my god, we. So my roommate, my Sully, at the time, he uh, took off his T-shirt and tr- tried to, you know, grab it because the whole side of me was, uh, it was the whole side of me was red. And yeah, I mean that a- goes that goes from the back of your ear all the way around your neck, almost to the yeah. front of your neck. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like I said, I was, you know basically red so i can hear people saying stuff i'm kind of like froze a little bit and i can hear people saying stuff particularly i heard somebody said like one of the guys he got it he talked real fast and his voice get a little high so you can hear him say like you know what i mean like, <laughs> and for some reason that was like something that just like stood out to me and stuff and everything so yeah. um yeah man they came and got me he took me to the classroom and what what is called Building Twenty Four. They laid me on the table, and uh, you know they they was panicking. 
And, you know, I, I've been through a couple situations and I, I didn't want to go into shock. You know, um, I've been shot a few different times. So I, so in order for me not to be like to not go in shock, I, I use humor to kind of like calm down the whole situation. And so I had just bought a, pre- a pair of brand new sneakers off a of commissary. So I was like, yo, um, please don't let no blood get on my sneaks. So when I did that, one of the one of the COs, female COs, she was like, he worrying about his dog on sneak. And it kind of just settled everything down. Cause they need to they needed to settle down. Yeah. Um was, one person was trying to like hold it together. Um so I was supposed to be rushed to the hospital. But because my nephew works at the hospital, I didn't get rushed to the hospital. Well, yeah, I, don't, I, don't even, I don't even understand what that means. I don't understand that at all. I they stitched me up right there. They stitched me, they stitched me up right there. Um the doctor, she she was like I was laying like this in the way that I the way that because basically it was like a little closet, the nursing area. And so she had to basically like be on top of me in order to stitch me and stuff. Um and um so they sent me back to the uh back to the housing area. Um you know, I had a whole bunch of stitches all in my zone and they sent me back to the housing area with some Tylenol. That was it. And that's and the outcome of that was um I went through six different surgeries over four years. Uh my my neck keloid up. My neck keloid up. And so it looked like I had a baby arm on the side of my neck. Yeah, so it's just all like scar tissue and like a big thing there. Yeah. And it had it had it had hit my nerves. So like I could be talking to you and I'd be like and it would just cramp, lock me all the way up. So, um, so, uh, they, like I said, they put me back on the housing area. So they came around interviewing us. And no, everybody refused, you know, nobody saying anything. So when they put me in the interviewing room, I was like, I was just like, man, listen, man, it's subs today, man. Can you please get me back? So I can go ahead and eat. And so the officer got extremely mad. And stuff, and I said, he said, that's the problem with y'all. Y'all don't, y'all don't want to say. I said, yo, man, it was four of your officers right there. Y'all got cameras right there. Why are you, you know, why are you attacking me for something that you should already know? Like I'm not. And furthermore, furthermore, it seems like you don't have the best, my best interest at heart, because there's yeah, no secret. It, it, because it's, there's it's, no secret. If I say something, then. You put me back in harm's way. Yeah, it's funny how now now you're responsible. So all the t- all the time they want to fuck with everybody, fuck with everybody, do the worst things they can think of, fuck with them, fuck with them. And now when the COs run away, but they have it on camera, now somehow you, it's your responsibility, or it's some or it's somebody there in that situation's responsibility to give them the information they need that they already have, and and they're going to tell you that that see what you got's your fault because. You know, you know, that's, I, I just, well, you know, I, this is not the first 
story I've heard like this. Uh, it's very harrowing, and um, I'm not surprised because, again, everything we seem to do in this context in criminal justice and in, in incarceration and all of that just seems so counterintuitive and backwards. It's the opposite. We do everything wrong, literally everything wrong. And 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 then and then people expect like I don't know what people expect uh, the the result to be, um, but the good news is, uh, before we check out, I, I I definitely want to talk about how you've used this experience and some of the stuff you're doing now. I mean, it's 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 really uh, I get motivated when I speak to people, you and people like you, who are able to take that experience. And turn it into not only activism, but courageous leading from the front. I mean, you said it before when you're organizing, you know, your your neighbors and your people and your family. And it's like, you know, pe- people don't want to get involved that much. But you're like, it does, as long as you have support, as long as you have to show solidarity, you're going to lead from the front. You know what I mean? That's 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 profound. That's really profound stuff. Yeah. Um. For me, for me, it's just that, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm 44. I'll be 45 in November 18. Um, but uh, I, I just feel like, yo, I, I put my life on the line for so many things out in the world that was uh, frivolous, that that really, like, was very, very prob- problematic towards my community, very negative and stuff like that. So why wouldn't I put my life on the line for something that that is the right thing? So I'm, I'm cool with that. Um and plus, um, you know, through the years of being incarcerated, man, I was able to do some self-reflection. And even though I was locked down for 47 and 1, one thing that 47 and 1 would do would make you face yourself. And the realization of who I really was. You know, I realized that I really was not the person that I was being, trying to portray to be and stuff and everything. I was able to find out some things that I disliked about myself, but I was also able to find out some things that I liked about myself. So um, with that, you know, I found out my um, I found out my strengths, and you know, my strengths was standing up for others. You know, um, not being afraid to uh, be combative, far as like and uh, verbally sparring with somebody if you know in a point that is that is uh, very helpful towards our community. I took a lot of bricks out of my community, so now I got an opportunity to to put them back in and build something. So um, even with even with this, even with the guy who did this and everything, and we good, we all right. You know, he 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 was subjected to the same bullshit I was subjected to, and these are and these are the these are the you know these is what happens and everything. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. So um I ain't did. So but um I'm just figure all the shit that I did to people. So I, I got a little a little scar. I went through some dumb ass surgeries, you know what I mean? Um you know, so it's it's just it's just what it is. And so but um having the opportunity to take that and do something else with it is is great. Um but one of the one of the one of the things that is hard is the the emotional turmoil, man. You know, I never, I never, I never fought something like that. I never fought anxiety attacks. 
I never thought just emotional spouts, like emotional spells that just come over me. You know, I, I haven't had a good night's sleep since I've been home. Can't sleep really. Um, you know, I, I just, I just, just this fear, you know, this fear of success, this fear of just walking down the street and they're going to come and take me away. You know, um, this level of uncomfortability and, and yearning to be back in prison. So I, because I was comfortable, you know, missing, missing my peoples that, you know, that we, that I cried together with that, you know, that we was together every day, all day, you know, when we was hungry, man, we ate bread and drank a whole bunch of water so it could swell up. But these people never, never come home again, probably. Um, you know, going through COVID in prison, you know, eating a, eating a, eating a bone with a person one day and he did the next. You know, watching people die because they don't come around and do the checks and people are banging and saying, yo, he's committing suicide. You know, at that time, you don't, the weight ain't like that at that time. But when you're home and nobody seems to understand why you just isolate yourself away from everybody, why you just seem, you know, so withdrawn, I don't know. That's the fight. That's the hard part, man. Fighting for you is easy. You know what I mean? Fighting for what I fighting with what I got going on inside is it's hard. Like for real. Man. Yeah, I mean no one <clears throat> you know, I, it, it it's 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 extremely difficult to even comprehend, you know, to to to, to see you if you're withdrawn or you're not sleeping properly or you have anxiety. Makes perfect yeah. sense. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm almost at a loss for words just to tell you, like, what, what, you, what, what, you, yeah, I mean, what's your, yeah, but, but you, but you, uh, it, it, what's, what's fascinating and what's um, actually makes me optimistic is that you did describe it. You know, you're able to say. Yes, I feel anxiety because I was put in this pretty heinous long-term situation that I had to figure out how to live with. And after you figure out how to live in this bizarro world, this completely fucked up, upside-down, tortured world, you immediately come back out and are meant to, like, not, like that... The idea that that wouldn't have an impact on any human being's spirit, psyche, like emotional well-being, physical well-being, the amount, the the idea that 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 experience wouldn't have a profoundly emotional impact on anybody is obviously that's going to happen. And to be able to say, you know what, I'm gonna. I'm going to focus this on, you know, putting the bricks back that I maybe I took out. 
Um, it's uh, you know, it's that's, that's I'm cathartic. sure I'm that's, sure that, that, part, that part is cathartic. It is therapeutic. You know, it has a selfish it has a selfish reasons. Um, without that, I will be put together even half. You know what I mean? So it's cathartic. It's it's it's, it's therapeutic. It allows me to it allows me to really focus up. You know what I mean? It allows me to stay stay in check. You know, um, and it and and, and you know it's a promise that I made to my my comrades that are left. Well, they didn't ask me to send them pictures and money and stuff like that and talk about all the slick stuff out here in the world. They said, Hassani, man, get in position, man, so you can do some change. That's in. So Allah, Allah has blessed me to be able to do that. So before we end, man, what are you, what are you working on right now? Is there, st- is there stuff we need to plug and talk about? Um, well, right, well, right now, as far as with my, as far as with ACLU, yeah. uh, Delaware, as uh, being a racial justice organizer, we are pushing for Senate Bill 1. Right now, and it is looking good, but we don't want to give up the fight. We constantly, constantly, constantly want to stay on it. Uh, within the next two weeks, we will go down there so people can actually see the workings of um, legislation going through. Because, you know, with the interaction of the community, a lot of people don't really believe in the government, rightfully so. But at this time, you would get to see some of the fruition of your work and stuff. So uh, that's what we're going to sit and build. One is rights, uh, tenants' rights for representation uh, for those who are maybe facing eviction to have some type of legal aid to, to navigate themselves through it or a platform to set some type of mediation in the conversation with your landlord to resolve the issue. Um, yeah, so those are that. that's the thing that I happen to be working on. There's other there's other avenues within uh, the ACLU. Uh, one of the things that is most important to me is to reform through smart justice uh, with my man Hanif. We have to say, stuff. you know what, you know what Hanif would say: people, not probation. People, 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 not probation. Yeah, uh, yeah and, that, and that's something that's personal to me because right now I'm battling with probation, so it's very personal for me. But um, yeah, and for anybody that's out there, like that's listening and stuff, man, volunteer. It doesn't. Have, I mean, I, we would like you for you to volunteer at ACLU, but volunteer for anywhere. Volunteer at your local church, your local mosque. Volunteer anywhere. Volunteer to help that lady into the store that is getting out of the walker. Volunteer, man. Show the strength of our community, man. That's it. Show the strength of our community. Whatever you can do to show that you're part of a neighborhood, to show that you're part of a community, and to bring people sort of like – because people will see it. People will see you do it and say, oh, that's, that's, that, that actually just, – just that doing it in public, whatever it is, um, actually is an, is an important step for everybody around to see it. It's, it's it, this real quick. Me and my cousin, we was, we was riding one day. We riding, we talked about going this probably like last week or two weeks ago. And – so the car, you know, had a hazards on it, it before us. It's like over on 17th Street. And uh, so it was two, it was a Sunday, I think, and it was two older ladies. And, you know, they was getting, their, I guess, their pots and pans, you know, from wherever they came from and stuff, good smelling food. And they trying to get it. Without it even being said, me and my cousin, we got out the car and it just while we in the street, just got out the car and carried their stuff 
and for them, got right back in the court without even like having a conversation with them just to speak, just hey, we got that for you. And that's how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the norm. Loving on each other is the norm, man. That's all. Yep. Well, we're gonna we're gonna link to um, all the stuff that the ACLU is doing for housing. I can say, and I'm gonna plug uh, Jordan Howell's work again because in the, in the Delaware call, uh, Jordan ha- uh, won a, a press award last year for in-depth reporting because we did he did a story uh, on uh, the Adams Street situation and why which is a great example of why tenants need a tenant's bill of rights and tenant's right to counsel and, and need some need some protections in Wilmington and in the state. And number two, what you have to understand is you're exactly right. People do not see how the government's going to work for them. They don't, you know, and it hasn't. So to say that I don't to say that it won't is because you have experienced it not working. Uh, but the other story that Jordan did was how much money that the Delaware Realtors Association spends to make sure that the landlords have all the rights and you don't have any. And so and so, understandably, uh, I understand why people are cynical about the process. But the process is working whether you are involved in it or not, and it's probably working against you. Um, that's something that we've we've. We, that Jordan was able to show with that with that uh, Delaware Association of Realtors story. So I'm I'm way into tenants' rights. You know, Cheyenne Miller is a huge friend of mine. Eugene Young is a huge friend of mine. They got this guy in. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm we're, we're gonna we're gonna link to all that jazz. Also, also, I would like to say I would like to inform the people because we you know we talk about prison a lot tonight and the emotional turmoil that is like really goes unseen a lot. When we come home, so a lot of people really don't pay a lot of focus to that stuff and everything. So, but uh, what, what I would like to say is that you know this is this a fact that I just learned not too long ago is that there are 800 people in the prison population that's over 55. Two of 200 of them are chronically ill and stuff. And and these people that are in prison, they should be underneath a compassionate release. Yes. Yes. These people who are in prison, they should be underneath a compassionate, uh, compassionate release. Abdul Shabazz is blind with diabetes. He's 80 years old, and he's been in prison almost a half a century. And why is he still in prison? So we need to really, really start being engaging into that and stuff and everything. And also, I have a uh, allow creations coming, though. Look on Instagram. Hustle the process. I love. I, look, we we uh, t-shirts we coming have, soon. We have. Uh, I mean, free Abdul Shabazz. I mean, the guy, yeah. uh, comp- compassionate release. He's of no threat to anyone. Um, he served more than enough time. He's been tortured enough. Uh, free Abdul blind. Shabazz. He's a blind, blind man. Come on, man. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, you know, I, this is something. Uh, but I will be back. Yeah, this is something you would be back, and we should be actually we should be talking about that. Uh, yeah, Hassani Hassani Perkins, man, thanks for thanks for joining on the, on the Zoom, and we definitely have to get you into the studio and do a full yeah. do the full uh, the full show here um, because I think I think we would all we would enjoy ourselves. I'm sure. I'll be there. I'll be there, man. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to uh, to share, man, and I appreciate you. Well, it was and beautiful. All- 
It was beautiful to meet you, and I, I hope to uh, to meet you in person very soon. Um, everyone, uh, we'll see you next week. Left is best. <laughs> <laughs>